Good morning. Good morning. Thank you to Bruce and Pam for doing music today. Uh, we'll actually be in Luke chapter 10 today. This is a sermon I preached in Minnesota uh, three and a half years ago. And uh, I feel like it actually will fit uh, the subject matter of the sermon. I feel like fits. Um, certainly it was a busy week this week. And I, by the time we got down on Thursday, I was like, I do not have enough in the tank to write a whole new sermon this week. And it's a passage where we see Martha and Mary, two sisters who we were introduced to in the Gospel of John. Uh, different interactions with Jesus, one spending time with Jesus, the other running herself ragged uh, when Jesus didn't ask her to. Uh, and Luke chapter 10 is where we'll be this morning. Lord willing, the plan next week is to resume in 1 Samuel. Um, and again, I just thought, I did the cost-benefit analysis. I thought it would be better to hear a good sermon that I preached somewhere else than to hear a bad sermon that I rushed to put together. So Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. Lord, we continue to pray today for the family of Liz Yergler on her passing last week. Lord, and we pray for your nearness to them as they continue to grieve. Lord, and we pray that you would be with them. And Lord, as grandkids and relatives travel back home in the coming days, Lord, we pray for safe travels for them. Lord, we also want to continue to pray for Ron Yergler and his recovery and how he's feeling. Lord, and to pray for Jim Hoffbauer and that. Uh, Health concerns he's had with his vision. Lord, we just want to lift him up through that difficult time that they're going through. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings, Lord. We want to thank you this week. Uh, an incredible uh, decision that was made by the United States Supreme Court. Lord, we want to rejoice that there are lives that will be saved. As a result of that, people who will get to live their lives because of that decision. Lord, we know that there's a lot of turmoil, a lot of disagreement, Lord, over all of these things. But we want to just rejoice in life. And so we praise you for that. Lord, we want to thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word today. Lord, we thank you for everyone who's here. And Lord, the many, many ways that people serve this church, build up this church. Lord, we thank you for all of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I also wanted to mention, uh, whenever we do a funeral it is a lot of work, and there's so many people who help to make those such a, a smooth event and an event that's uh, meant to be a blessing to the family. And I'm sincerely thankful for people like Sharon, Larry, Elaine, uh, for Donna Verkler, for everything that they do to help with the kitchen, um, people who help with ushering, running. Like, same thing on a Sunday where there's a lot of people who help out and just so appreciative of all of that, because uh, it's a lot of time and uh, it's something that people do to, to serve and to, to be a blessing, and it's sincerely appreciated. Um, so there's a lot going on right now, 
I know some people who are in farming have just finished up a busy season. I know summertime for many can be a busy time of year with traveling, vacations, people visiting you, you going to visit other people. It's a busy time. It can be stressful. Now, in our passage this morning, imagine if Jesus was coming over to your house. That's what we have in this story today. And we see a stressed out host. It's an interesting passage. It's a challenging passage. It's a passage that I think is meant to make us question why we do what we do, where our heart is, what our priorities are. Very briefly, a little bit of background. There are three people mentioned in this story, Jesus, Martha, and Mary. And if you remember from our time in John, Martha and Mary are sisters. In John chapter 11, we see them as mourners when their brother Lazarus has died. They seek out Jesus, and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. In John chapter 12, Jesus again has a meal with this family. We'll talk more about that later. That same event is referred to in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. Today's story is found exclusively in Luke's Gospel. So Jesus dined with this family on more than one occasion. Jesus has a relationship with this family. And as we've seen, they invite Jesus over to Martha's house. And that's where we'll pick up in our passage this morning. The main idea from this passage is that Jesus is the one thing necessary which will not be taken away. And jumping right into our passage, beginning in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Every culture has different expectations for hospitality. When someone comes into your home, you want to take care of your guests. You want to make them feel welcome. Maybe you offer them something to eat or something to drink. And Martha is trying to be a good host for Jesus. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Sitting at the feet of your teacher shows discipleship. It takes a position of humility. It's lowering yourself before your teacher. It's putting yourself in close proximity so that you can hear the teacher and devote your full attention. Mary has Jesus in her midst. And so she's not going to waste the opportunity. She is there to hear the words of Christ. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha was distracted. Think about this from Martha's perspective. She just wants to be a good host. Jesus is at her house. Wouldn't you want to be a good host too? Wouldn't you want to impress him too? Wouldn't you want him to think well of you too? You'd make the best meal you knew how to cook. You'd have the carpet shampooed. You'd have the Bible prominently somewhere in the house for him to see it. You'd want to be a good host. It's not that Martha doesn't also want to be with Jesus, but she feels that she has to serve him first. And Martha is thinking, if my sister Mary wasn't so lazy, I'd actually have some time to visit with him. But no, Mary is just sitting around. For anyone here who has siblings, clearly Mary is the younger one. Not a care in the world, just hanging out, sitting around with Jesus, hearing pots and pans clanging in the kitchen, Martha slamming cabinets so that they can hear how hard she's working. 
I don't know if they really had cabinets in the first century or not, but you get the idea. Martha muttering things under her breath. Mary isn't doing anything to be helpful. And so Martha decides to go up the chain of command. Maybe she knows that Mary won't listen to her, but she takes it up with Jesus. She asks Jesus to tell Mary to help her. Lord, do you not care? Probably not the best icebreaker. She looks at Jesus teaching and Mary sitting and receiving the teaching from Jesus. And Martha rebukes Jesus. Do you not care? Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Tell her to stop being so lazy. I don't know what Martha was expecting. If she thought that Jesus would take her side and tell Mary, you know, you really should help out. It's hard not to feel some sympathy for Martha. A lot of us are Marthas. As I said, Martha just wants to be a good host. But she's not being a good host. She's not enjoying herself. She's kind of causing a scene. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus responds with gentleness. He says, Martha, Martha. He's using endearing language. She repeats her name. You were anxious and troubled about many things. We don't know specifically what all of the many things were that she was troubled about. We don't need to know. Because what matters is that Mary is focused on the one necessary thing. She's focused on Jesus. Mary gets it. Mary has chosen the one necessary thing. She's chosen Jesus and his word. The better portion that won't be taken away from her. So many of the things that we make a big deal of aren't things that we'll care about in the long term. So many things that we get so stressed about right now aren't things that we'll really care about tomorrow. They're not things that we'll care about next week. They're not things we'll care about next year. And they're certainly not things that we'll care about at the end of our lives. Things that are so comparatively minor in the present moment can stress us out so much more than their value really is. So many of us make mountains out of molehills, get bent out of shape and stressed over things that, again, are relatively small, minor issues. And then you have Jesus. There's this promise of grace and forgiveness, the most precious thing, the most glorious truth, something which will not be taken away from us. What we need is the word of God. And that's what, where Mary was. And that's where we can be. Now, it can be easy to think, but that's different. Mary was physically with Jesus. We aren't. But Jesus invites us into relationship. Are you getting to know him? 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Or Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Jesus invites us to know him. True life 
And meaning comes from knowing Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. In Psalm chapter 100, verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. God promises to complete the work that he has done in his people through Christ. Philippians 1, 6 he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And on and on and on. Those are just a few examples. What do those mean to you? Are these the precious truths to you? Are these precious treasures to you? Do they lead you to greater worship and affection and reverence for the Lord? Or today, as you sit here, if you're being honest with yourself, do they not really stir you that much. Maybe you look at those promises and think, well, yeah, they'll matter someday. But as for today, you're so stressed out about what's going on in your life. It's tough sometimes. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. But if God's goodness and God's word isn't stirring your love for God, I would ask this question. Are you focusing on the one necessary thing? Mary has chosen Jesus and is sitting at his feet. She's chosen to hear the word of God. God's word is just as true for us as it was for Mary. Listening to Jesus, being with Jesus, the one necessary thing that will not be taken away. Jesus tells Martha she's worried about many things. He doesn't say that those things don't matter. He doesn't say that those things are ridiculous or insignificant. But that Mary has chosen the one thing that is truly necessary. She's chosen the most important thing. The point isn't that Martha has chosen so poorly, but that Mary has chosen that which is better. Because we so often get sidetracked in the kitchen, or in the office, or in the fields, or in the church. Serving Jesus should be from the overflow of knowing Jesus. It needs to flow from knowing the love of Jesus and from our love that we have for Jesus. But knowing Jesus is where it all begins. At the feet of our teacher is where it begins every day. You'll never be as effective at serving the Lord if you're not first following the Lord. Uh, Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. We need to know the word of God, because in it we find the wisdom of God. We see how to live. Again, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus as a disciple of Jesus in a position to hear his teaching. Of course, we need to serve. It's good to work. It's good to help others. But you have to take care of yourself, too. You have to tend to your own spiritual needs, too. We won't be as effective if we're not also spiritually healthy. One year for Christmas, Carrie and I flew from uh, Minnesota, where we were living at the time, to Alabama for her youngest sister's wedding. 
So we flew from Minnesota to Alabama, and then we flew from Alabama to Ohio to be with my family for Christmas, and then back to Minnesota. So for that trip, we were on five flights. And so I had to sit through five safety demonstrations. And they always tell you when you fly, should the cabin experience sudden pressure loss, stay calm, and listen for instructions from the cabin crew, oxygen masks will drop down from above your seat. And they tell you that if you need to assist someone with their mask, to make sure that you put your own mask on first. And the reason why they tell you that is because when the air pressure drops, hypoxia sets in quickly and your brain is getting less oxygen. So you need to put on your own oxygen mask first. You need to get your own supply of oxygen first before you can effectively help someone else. Well, spiritually, we need the air that Jesus gives before we can help someone else breathe. We need the water that Jesus offers before we can help someone else drink. We need to feed ourselves first the food that Jesus prepares before we can help others to feed. We need to follow Jesus well before you can help others and serve others well. That's why Jesus commends Mary, because she has chosen the better portion. Martha misses out in this story. No, what she does isn't the worst thing in the world, but she's not enjoying Jesus as she should be. And that's the true shame. But it happens all the time. It's so simple, but we so often make it so complicated. But we have opportunities every day to enjoy Jesus, to meet with Jesus, to be still and sit with Jesus. How many days do we waste caught up in our own projects Distracted by many things, when where we should have started was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus isn't primarily concerned with perfect hospitality and a perfect meal when he visits Martha and Mary. Those are pressures that she heaped up on herself. Sometimes we're people pleasers and we get so stressed because we put too much stock into what others think of us or wanting to be liked or wanting to impress people. That can be exhausting. Some of us can be preoccupied with image and how people perceive us. But we can be so obsessed with what others think about us, with others thinking well of us, that we're running ourselves ragged. We can be perfectionistic or like a sense of control and then get frustrated when things don't go to our plans. Some of us just aren't good at saying no to things. There is no virtue in exhaustion. And the danger is that when we treat the one thing necessary as if it's secondary, we get distracted from Jesus. It's good to serve, but it's not good to serve and to spread yourself so thin that you're not also taking care of yourself. Do we need to accomplish certain things because that's where we put our self-worth? Sometimes, we serve because of pride. We feel that we have to do things because if we don't, it won't be done right. Churches survive. When I was single, in those dark, dark days, um, a couple different times, because we've mentioned this before, Carrie and I met on eHarmony, a couple women who I dated before I met Carrie worked in churches as like, children's pastors or stuff with music. 
And they were impossible to deal with. They never had time for anything because it was like they were working at the church like 140 hours a week. Like it just, it's like you had to plan getting coffee like weeks in advance and it didn't work out. And they regret it to this day. I tell myself. Um, but people can do that. I remember a friend who worked in a church and he would talk about how the pastor was in his 50s, looked like he was in his 70s. Because he was running himself nonstop. And he expected everyone else on staff, this was a bigger church, to do the same thing. And it was exhausting. We have to take care of ourselves. But again, we can get so caught up in making so much of ourselves that we feel like God's church depends on me individually. I think it's important to examine our own hearts and motivations for why we do what we do. And this doesn't only apply to service. It applies to how we work, how we study, how we interact with people. It applies to the accomplishments we pursue, the goals that we have. Are we driven based on wanting our own glory? Do we, need, do we feel the pressure to measure up better than someone else? And I'm not saying that applies to all of us. Again, work and service are good things. But the reasons why we do some of the things that we do aren't always the healthiest reasons. That God is gracious, and he can still use that. He can still use things that don't come from the best motivation or intention. But we can run ourselves down in the process. There can be so many areas of life where we exhaust ourselves. There can be people or groups we exhaust ourselves trying to serve or impress or take care of. None of those things are as important as Jesus. Your spouse isn't as important as Jesus. Your kids aren't as important as Jesus. Your parents aren't as important as Jesus. Your in-laws aren't as important as Jesus. Your neighbor, who always seems to have it a little bit more together, is not as important as Jesus. Your co-workers aren't as important as Jesus. But it can be hard. It can be exhausting. Because the people we interact with are not as gracious as Jesus. But what you need to do is to remember that what any of these people think about you, or if they look down on you, if they talk about you, that that's not the most important thing in your life. Jesus is the one necessary thing. I need to make everything seem perfect in your life and in your family is not the most important thing in your life. A need to impress people or to live up to someone else's standards should not be the most important thing in your life. But it can be a temptation for some of us more than others. That's focusing on many things. Our identity is to be rooted in Christ and in the one necessary thing. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus accepts us. He welcomes us. He invites us to know him. He invites us to sit at his feet. Our acceptance is not about how we perform or how well we do. Because Jesus is gracious. He gives us the right to become God's children. God sees us and sees the righteousness of Christ as if it's our own accomplishment. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He invites us into a relationship. So we can know him, not so that we can impress him. Mary chose the good portion. She chose to sit with Jesus. Again, the point isn't that Mary was right and she didn't serve and that we shouldn't serve. The point is that the point is not that we should just be contemplative and sit around and do nothing. The point is not that we should spend so much time in prayer or studying the Bible that we don't get anything done or serve others. But that we need to start with Jesus. Here, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. But later on, she will serve him. Earlier at the beginning of our time, I referenced this passage. But in John chapter 12, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus. John chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, obviously, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. When this event is referenced in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, Jesus said, In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done... In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done, it is to be prepared for me for my burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Mary serves Jesus in a very significant way. But there does need to be balance. All Christians are called to serve, make no mistake. It's important to serve in the church. If you're part of this church and have not found a way to serve, I'd encourage you that it's important. We are According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we are all gifted and equipped with spiritual gifts to use for the body for the sake of building up the body. We are called to serve, but we are not called to be martyrs to that service. There needs to be balance. Jesus serves. He washes his disciples' feet. He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. In John 2, at the wedding feast, when they run out of wine, Jesus' mother comes to him, explains the situation. Jesus turns water into wine. Jesus had time for people, but he wasn't controlled by the whims of those around him. In John 11, when Jesus hears that Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary, is dying, the passage tells us that Jesus waited a couple more days before he went to Bethany. Jesus took time to leave people and to pray. He took naps. He ate meals with people. He gave teachings that totally offended the sensibilities of the time. He made statements that were clearly going to offend the religious sensibilities of the leaders. He spoke truth that wasn't popular. He flipped over tables when people abused the temple. He told the Pharisees in John chapter 5 that they didn't even know God. Jesus served people. Jesus had time for people. But he also didn't get fed up when others weren't helping He never complained from the kitchen that people weren't helping. He wasn't a people pleaser who was trapped in what others thought about him. He was the opposite of that. He was crucified. Our spiritual and emotional health matter. 
Are you Martha or are you Mary? Do you make time to care for yourself? It can be easy to feel like we don't have time for that. We can get busy. We can get stressed out. But the times when we feel like we don't have time to sit with Jesus, to pray, to be quiet for a few moments, to be in God's word, are the times when we need it the most. I'll close with this. One thing I try to be aware of, that it's important to a church culture not to burn people out. That's part of the reason why, if I've ever asked you to do anything for this church, I try, not, I try to be very careful not to put pressure on people or guilt people or shame people. Especially if it's a big task, I always give people an out. Because it's always okay to say no to something. Anyone can say no to me. Part of the reason also why I never feel any shame about asking somebody. But it's never a problem if you say no. I'm a big believer that if one person can't do something, someone else will. Or it won't happen, and guess what? The world will keep spinning. The church will survive. The heavenly host won't see a ministry or an event that has to get canceled or changed and think, ah, our plans are messed up. The church will be fine. Sometimes I feel like people can put pressure that if one thing doesn't happen the way we want it to or the way it's always been done, that it'll just be a catastrophic disaster. And so there can be this internal pressure that we have to do it. Sometimes we don't have to do it. Events of the churches, not just this church, but every church. Events of the churches do, so many of them are not. Aside from the preaching of the word and praying and music, most other things that churches do are optional. So again, sometimes if something can't be done or can't be done a certain way, it's okay. It'll all be fine. No individual needs to put the pressure on themselves. They're the one who has to save the church. It'll be okay. For people who serve faithfully, it's truly appreciated. Sometimes people need a break from things. Sometimes people need a season away from a certain way of serving. That's fine. What I don't want, and what we should never want, is for people to get distracted, though, from the one thing that's necessary. What we should never want is for people people to get distracted from keeping the one necessary thing the one necessary thing. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, may we Know that Jesus is the one necessary thing and sit at his feet, Lord. And again, we are thankful for the ways you equip your people to serve you and to build up your church. And may we do that in a way that is glorifying to you, Lord, and not be run down and exhausted. But do it with a joyful heart, Lord, as people who know you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.